Right, anyway, so, um, hi, I'm Em. <laughs> and I'm E. And we haven't recorded a podcast in ages. But we've got a special one for you. We're doing a roundup of uh, various different recent events in, like, the the lefty uh, commentary atmosphere. And we're having a, a little bit of a one a, a one shot special on our favorite Labour MP, Rosie Duffield. Oh, incredible. Um, we are a podcast that studies the links between trans exclusionary radical feminism and connected transphobic political political ideologies. Uh, and and things like cults, pseudo pseudoscience, and fascism, and how they're all kind of intertwined in one big jumble. This is the least well organized episode we've recorded since the pilot. Um, I'm going to be putting the, like the editing for this is going to look like sort of like the Charlie Day conspiracy theory notice board mixed with the specific area of the Chernobyl power plant where all of the all of the like the, the radioactive silicon melted through the floor. That's how all tasks are. Yeah, you know, doing things, that's like radioactivity. No, like the Charlie Day radioactivity. That's how that's how all tasks are. Okay. Man, I have ADHD. Right, so the Labour Party is having a time. I don't pay attention to the Labour Party, so this took me rather by surprise. I pay attention to people who think that Jewish snake blobs are burrowing into the minds of our children, drinking their blood, turning it into like magical adrenochrome. And you live and a happier life than the people who keep up with what Labour does on Twitter. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like keeping a, a weather. You're logged I, off. I'm keeping a no. I'm not logged off. I'm just logged into a completely different hell zone. I'm keeping a weather yeah. eye on the adrenochrome chats and and like the people who think like legitimately that they need to storm the BBC in order to expel the cabal and arrest Prince Andrew in a citizen's arrest. Um, You've become so online you've circled back again. Yeah, exactly. I've basically, I've, I've basically like done a singularity and now I'm officially outside. Like I've gone outside. I'm touching grass as we speak. The grass is the surface of my smartphone, but philosophically it's grass. Fuck you. Um, yeah, I only, this actually only came across like my notice because it's related to trans stuff. And obviously I follow a lot of members of the community uh, of all different politics because they are trans. Um, and so the first thing I saw was everyone reacting either because they care about labor or because, you know, they're trans um, in absolute fucking disgust at LGBT Labour's statement about Rosie Duffield like yet again hitting the news for being a, a massive bigot essentially you know her whole shtick and like yeah just doing again, another another load of dog whistle nonsense basically. yeah and it's like it's like a um I said on Twitter um you know it's it's, it's basically like uh, everyone's like getting angry at like if your nominally left wing party had like someone constantly doing like extremely bigoted dog whistles and then when asked in writing to say that they thought the the minority was a human being them just completely ignoring it for at this point years now it's like it's like the the issue is beyond parody and yet people are still engaging with labor and that's what's caused this huge split because lgbt labor's statement was extremely cowardly and um dismissed you know people on twitter sending threats to rosie duffield as 
equivalent and you know to all of the shit that Duffield has done and obviously no one wishes harm on another but um it's just like wasn't appropriate yeah it was was HR shit that's what it was it was like we pretend to care but we're really we're a liaising force between you and Labour who hate you this is why the position that I espoused on on my personal Twitter account was that if you're like still in Labour at this point you are effectively scabbing um, oh yeah no genuinely to go back to the to go back to the core matter my understanding at the timeline of this stuff is that like obviously everyone knows that rosie duffield is like the dog whistle queen and she does this sort of thing every like month or two right that's kind of like the general background and yeah. then we have like the labor party conference coming up and rosie duffield decided that she felt that she wasn't welcome at the Labour Party conference because someone might be mean to her, hypothetically, maybe. So she decided to very loudly not go. Um, this is the same woman who's, like, basically just, like, semi-doxed someone who felt they had to resign from her office because she kept bullying them. So it's an interesting manoeuvre straight off the bat, you know? Um then there's all of this like other labor shite going on because like the labor right are still like a bunch of like paranoiac freaks who are just obsessed they're still with... shadow boxing yeah they're still they're it's, still it's the simpsons to... thing where they're crying at the thing that, and going stop he's already dead it's like yeah it's like <laughs> the, like they're, they're just like they're, they're absolutely incensed with the prospect of destroying owen jones horrific political power and meanwhile owen jones is doing like cry tweeting about how they betrayed Cor- corbynism because all of his friends have been sacked so it's just like it's a fucking sinking fucking ship that's also like the scabbing thing is like at the very least if you don't fucking care about trans people enough can you not see where the political wind is going they're obsolete it's going to be so embarrassing if they somehow win, but I genuinely don't see how they can I don't, win the, I don't ne- the next I don't give a shit if they win. Like, I don't give a shit if they win. Well, actually, that's a good point, because even if they did win, they yeah, wouldn't so, do anything with it. It's, yeah, it would be it's like fucking like, Biden. It's not even like the Luxembourg-Bernstein debate from the 1920s, if you're like into... No, we can't even history. have high and mighty, you know, anarchist debates about electoralism, because there's no fucking point. Yeah, like we could just about do that with straight face under corporatism, but like now it just does not. It's just like, no. I, I myself may have written occasional screeds of people to ditch corporatism. I won't deny it, but this is a different situation. So anyway, different yeah, we got we got Duffield. Duffield is like sitting there, like occasionally, occasionally like itching her fingers over the one, the four, and the eight keys on her on her fucking keyboard, ready to ready to send tweet and then she's a liability and labor are doing all this effort to keep her on right yeah i mean i don't it's just like car stop kidding yourself votes like the thing is is transphobia like it's taken a massive amount of effort to get the public to even care about transphobia about like trans people yeah it's it's an op from like it's not a working class op it's like a bourgeois op if anything I love the concept of a working class op, like a bunch of guys <laughs> in like flat caps doing like memer shits. Labour, like the Labour Party thing is like just like the backdrop to this whole this whole like Ro- Rosie Duffield catastrophe zone. And there's there's other there's other Labour MPs who occasionally get suckered into this shite. Occasionally, like a Tory MP will also say something transphobic. But like the the the, the, the like the degree of asymmetry 
within like the social democratic left on this on this kind of thing is like quite bananas because there was there was this thing where like a senior Labour MP who's obviously Angela Rayner or someone like that um like sent a whole bunch of comments to who was it was it like was it the independent or 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 someone like that one of the one of the like the newspapers that is kind of like the guardian but not as big basically being like yeah new statesman it was either the new statement new economist it was either the new statesman or the independent Uh, okay and this MP, who definitely was not Angela Rayner, but in my in, in my opinion, was probably Angela Rayner. <laughs> um. Hi, M here from the recording booth. Uh, I'm doing some editing. Uh, so it wasn't actually Angela Rayner. It was a totally different Angela. It turned out later on that it's like Angela Eagle, and we got this through uh, left-wing rumor mill back channels that are nevertheless reliable, I promise. Basically, like, was like, yeah, I think, I think it's absolutely terrible that that we're having this this whole thing, and we should just be nice or or whatever. And I had this like, you know, made this like fairly benign, barely confrontational liberal statement, uh, vaguely decrying the position that Duffield's cohort takes, and despite this, felt that she had to make this statement under like the veil of like quoted anonymity. Um, which does, does sort of speak volumes, I feel. Arguably, that could have been a tactical move, but I don't think it is, because I think most of the leftist, if you can call them that, MPs in the Labour Party are just, frankly, a bit cowardly on this issue anyway. I mean, there's, they're all fucking... They're all... None of it... Like, I, the reason I reference the, the, the Simpsons meme about being a dead horse is that, like, the Labour Party is a horse... That is so dead and so disemboweled and so bloody. There is fucking no one with any left credentials, like left, unless they're like desperately trying to get back to doing whatever it is they were doing and avoiding the politics. Like it's like Keir Starmer's just done fucking Caligula level purges of just like kicking his little feet around all the people under him, more likely. Like he's like a baby king. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't know anything. And so, of course, there's no opposition. <laughs> It's not even that the horse is already dead. It's like it's like it's like the horse is no longer there. Like there's there's a whole bunch. Of yeah, horses. it's so disemboweled. There's nothing. They're shadow boxing a non-existent dead horse. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess in this metaphor, if the horse is like completely disemboweled, there's like literally no one. And I guess like for you know a given measure, you could definitely count Owen Jones as on a left, on the left more broadly. Um, but it's just like it's so there's like nothing the frail the frail cries of like two people in something that's meant to be like a national party it's minuscule i guess the only the only way in which i can think of there being like a useful way to comment on this in in relation to actually important stuff is oh yeah is to like use it as a basis from which to create uh like a discussion about what an actually useful well reaction this would be as opposed to like essentially the two zillionth reiteration of corbin tantrum well i think it's both useful for that and also useful to think about like why it is that this is happening um because 
you know, the one thing about communism is that it gave us like hard numbers on like a group of people who were not engaged in party politics and then became engaged and then became less engaged. And like their political energy has gone into various things. And a lot of them have ended up like really socked Emmy. And so there's like this influx of political energy and it's no longer attached to the Labour Party, but the Labour Party, or it is in some degree, but the Labour Party is uh, is a really big institution. It pays people money and like by artificially keeping the political energy, like the oxygen going to the Labour Party's dried out husk, there's money to be made. And I think that is relevant in terms of like the left's more broadly and more increasingly more fringe elements are like continuing to do apologism for the Labour Party is interesting. If we are facing this situation where essentially like there's this there's this cleavage of, of like uselessness whereby Labour is now becoming so useless to trans people that people are actually beginning to do this slow roll wave of resignations en masse insofar yeah. as there is even a mass of trans people in Labour to begin with, which I think is... And, and they've been very specific political waves as well. Like, obviously, the early waves were people who were not as invested in electoralism as they were invested in, like, trans liberation as a political cause, and successive waves have become broader and broader and brought in, you know, I guess, left less left-wing people to the point where lots of trans people who are, like, I guess, you know, centrist almost, or, like, even, like, to some degree right-wing are libs. getting... Yeah, yeah, the, the libs and also some people kind of passed the libs. Like, there are some people, you know, I won't name names, but I, I have met trans people who have voted Tory, and... um I mean, Sorry. we're functionally and, talking about like, the and kind, even they are like freaking out. Basically, we're functionally talking about the kinds of people who would have swithered over whether or not to vote for Ed Miliband or the Lib Dems. Yeah, and even they are like, holy shit! So you know, by this point, I the only trans people left in Labour must genuinely like live under a rock. I don't think it's even a question of like what you're willing to put up with. It's either living under a rock or it's paycheck. Like it'd be people yeah, act, exactly. like, actually working for the party. Exactly, exactly. And 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 so like looking at that, if you track the trans community's political acceptance of rejecting the Labour Party slash rejecting ele electoral politics, and then you track that like to people who are involved in trans liberation solidarity, but are not trans themselves, um, you also see a similar pattern, but with different weighting, obviously, because cis people as a whole care less about trans liberation because it's not a personal cause. You know, on some level, trans liberation for me is like self-interest in a way that it isn't for a cis person. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, true. Um, I am here because of the pure ideology. Yeah, and that's fine, you know, because like, I think to a certain level, everyone has that with their personal... Um, stuff that affects them but then obviously being a leftist is being considerate of everything else um indeed the for all we rant about cults the cult doesn't have its hold on me um, yeah the other thing i was going to say about like ideology is basically like it is it is a series of like selective events basically like we've we've, we've gone over like repeated discussions in this in this episode in, the, in this show in general about like the way that we view this as a, as a as like an as like an ecological matter like it's a it's an ecological interpretation of a sociological phenomenon and this seems like a like yet another 
of a long-running series of, of, of like selective bottleneck extinctions. Yeah, because each time, especially with Duffield specifically, like with the point that a British, um, you know, gender reactionary or like turf or whatever you want to call them, um, at this point, the British ones have reached a level of radicalization where they're like, not exactly like QAnon, but they're similarly like politically inchoate and therefore less powerful. So they can just get away with saying wilder and wilder stuff. It's, it's, it's like the, you know, when people talk about the um, uh, terror uh stochastic you know stochastic incitement yeah um, yeah again another thing we keep going over i guess the what it reminds the, the closest thing i can think of is is like uh in terms of the behavioral practice to this stuff is is the way that people would begin to tentatively talk about like brexit stuff like before brexit happened like a few years before brexit happened like back in the cameron era when people were not, unless they were real UKIP diehard maniacs, were not suggesting what latterly got called the hard Brexit option, which is what we ended up with. Like there, there was all, there was an escalation of radicalization. Yeah, and there was there was an escalation of radicalization orchestrated of, by the state. And there was an and but like there was also like this unplanned aspect to it where where like there wasn't any kind of like coherent effort. I, it's unplanned to a certain degree, but I also think that like the net benefit, like the net benefits of um, you know escalating radicalization, as it's it's clear like there has been a push towards um, a lot of those random side effects are those that like the the momentum pushing for it is benefited by them. I don't know. To to a certain extent, I feel like we're kind of like. What we're meant to be doing is trying to read the tea leaves, and I think what we're actually doing is staring at a whole bunch of like beer suds at the bottom of the tankard, because this this to me now seems like we're the ones flogging the the dead horse. So I again I'm inclined to be like, what's the what's like what what's the strategic landscape in this in this situation where not only is the Labour Party useless, which is the you know a common refrain here, but like there's a degree of disengagement and disenfranchisement on such a conscious level that means that absolutely everybody is just fucking upping sticks and leaving it. Well, I think in relation to that, in, in on a kind of like good note in, in terms of everything being useless and this like disenfranchisement, blah, 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 is I have noticed, especially like post COVID, which radicalized, you know, the, the last couple of years have been like a series of radicalizing events for many people, but ones that haven't been manufactured um, to the same extent, like COVID, where everyone kind of found themselves uh, divided much more starkly than they'd, they'd realized, or with, um, you know, like the the BLM wave of protest marches and the climate stuff and a lot more people protesting and getting radicalized by that like a lot of stuff has, has happened and I think people are starting to get better at I guess realizing when someone is doing co-option or like you know not 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 politically on the same level and I think this is definitely a time in regards to trans stuff's place on the wider left as well uh, like uh, anti-extremism obviously links in and so like does it become more of a sort of like general anti-fascist concern or does it become more of a uh, you know like whatever um, 
because it seems like the more mainstream elements engagement as as we've shown has been like altered by the Labour Party and now there's that severing I guess like political energy around the more lib end of trans activism is going to be swirling around looking for somewhere and I can tell you that like recently in on the trans side of things a lot of people who are not political I've noticed are wanting to do political actions because the state of you know the state of living as a trans person in Britain is like also had a lot of uh, twists and turns in the last like couple of years to the point where it is itself radicalizing more trans people so there's like a there's like a moment right and it's like do we want it to be co-opted or not um yeah i guess it, so when we when we did the episode about the about like our kind of like big warnings to the americans which turned out to be like quite well timed because now the american far right is basically like doing yes nearly nothing but transphobia like yeah transphobia is 50 percent of what they do now i I cannot believe like i I don't know if like we were just extremely lucky or what but like i can't believe how prescient in terms of timing that ended up being um what i was getting at is like our i guess like i see this episode as being the equivalent to that in a much much smaller scale like obviously uh the uk has gets you know the turf islands uh reputation for a reason but um and part of that is ironic distancing to the american left so they don't have to feel so bad about not being good on trans stuff uh yeah because they have a chip on their shoulder about everyone making fun of america for the various other horrible things it gets mm. up there uh what i was getting at uh, is like if there's this watershed moment to do with trans activism's investment in social democratic and parliamentary politics in general yeah then what are our like strategic predictions and strategic advice for the future like that that's kind of what i'm what i'm getting at which i guess does tie into all the stuff that you just said but like we are still seeing people people do the you know talk to your senator shit right because there's still stuff that's like talk to your mp going around and i i have i mean i know had much patience for it on an intellectual level um, when it came to like trans people saying it, I have patience for it emotionally, but I, I feel that it is stupid. Like it's- ah, this is this is this is gonna interest you. So you're absolutely right on a broader level. So when it's like a fucking like petition, petition, Theresa May, don't be mean to us, 2015 or whatever, nonsense. But with local issues, sometimes you know, like essentially sort of like a, a union um, email blast. Uh, sometimes you can get them to comment and do stuff. And with some trans healthcare things, people have gotten very good at sniffing out the MPs who might be worth haranguing. And they've made some like specific and very local gains. Like in terms of political weight, they are very, very niche. Like it's on a, it's like in terms of, in, in, in terms of like good it does, it's like a village kind of parish level, but I have seen a couple of examples, but only related to things like healthcare. Healthcare, I feel that's it, like a specific level. Yeah, it's because it's because of the Labour Party's um, like NHS fetish. Oh no, I'm talking about like lobbying your actual MP, who will almost certainly be like like conservative or whatever, like rather than the party. Well, even even in the UK in general, like if it's a healthcare thing, healthcare is like one of the few things that can go toe to toe with house prices in terms of the in terms of the attention that it will get from the yeah. semi politically engagement middle classes right yeah 
it, it, it's like they may have like hollowed out the NHS and it's now crumbling, but because it is visibly crumbling, they're having to do crisis management. So like they've, the way I would characterize it is, um, if anyone remembers like 2011, it started off with the Tories coming in and like they started uh, wailing on the NHS. Obviously New Labour have been doing it as well, but uh, austerity really kickstarted stuff. And at the time people were like, oh my God, this is it. This is, this is happening. The NHS, we have to fight for it. And then over the years that got completely normalized. It's like 10 years later, but on paper, the, you know, we in the UK do have a free national point at use health service, like only on paper mind, but like they do kind of have to care, I guess is why. I mean, that's fine. Like it's it's if there if there are like specific situations where where like very intelligent MP lobbying MP lobbying works for very like specific yeah outcomes, but I'm, it's only for email blasts, not it, for but, not for nationwide shit. Yeah, this is the thing is that I feel I feel like not systemic change. It's not just that it's not it's not systemic change. It's that like tactics don't exist in isolation, right? Yeah. Um, the more the more that there's uh like an inclination so like, the more there's an inclination within an organization to engage in a particular kind of tactics the more that organization will pivot towards tactics that are adjacent to those ones so if it yeah it creates its own niche yeah it creates like niches are niches are self-sustaining when they're based on behaviors like behaviors behavior, behaviors that are that become learned and habitualized then then kind of propagate similar or related behaviors. So, for example, if you're in, in if you're in an organization that's really based on uh, doing this kind of thing where you're pressuring public servants, then you're going to become very very good at like being forcefully polite, at, uh, like schmoozing, and being of a certain background blasts. demographic. Yeah, at, at, like manipulating demographics. You might do stuff like like uh, you know go on like nextdoor.com. To, to like basically get all the local grands really pissed off, that kind of thing. And I feel I feel like with the call your MP stuff, okay, there's certain tactical use cases for this for this method that are justifiable. But as a but, widespread method, it's not fit for purpose. It's no, it's not. That's not the problem. Although yes, I do ask. I I do argue that. Um, it's that as a method, it also entails other kinds of behaviors that will go along with it because yeah. it, it entails continued engagement with your mps in a in a way that continues to validate that mp it, uh, it kind of it kind of grows a, a dependence on the state like to do everything or or it prevents a rump dependence from being completely excised and now we're in a position yeah. where that rump dependence is so, it, like that rump dependency is the nature of the of the of the current like situation could you explain it's, rump dependence because i don't think many people would have heard of that yeah i mean given that i've just made it up <laughs> right yeah um okay. i assume so you mean like I, useless like unnecessary right what i mean is that uh if uh trans activism was like a, a parliamentary and enfranchised form of activism in the way that like liberal feminism is, for example, where like, uh -huh. le legislative efforts are completely like norm core and they just kind of happen. As LGBT stuff was, say, five years ago, like it was basically there because all of this stuff was considered so like boring and, 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 and passe that the conservatives were just kind of like half-arsedly putting GRA reform in their, in their manifesto just like because it was a thing that it was a box that needed ticking and they needed to get it out of the way. Yeah, it was, it was national admin. Yeah, 
Um, so that's that. That's what I would describe as being like completely like systemically enfranchised. Yeah. Uh, and because you're enfranchised, uh, that means that you're habitually going through those channels, which means that your primary uh, like resource avenue is that kind of channel. So you're relatively dependent on them, as opposed to if you're like relatively dependent on some other kind of like focus of power somewhere else. But like, it, at this point, uh, you're dependent, but it's more of a beneficial dependency than it is currently. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. like a, it's it, it's a it's a yeah a beneficial you're, dependency is a good way of describing it. Whereas, it's a, it's a, a good level of domestication. It's like free range, free range rather than a battery farm. Right. Whereas, like laterally, things got towards like through, basically through the through like the Corbyn area through the Corbyn era as this stuff was like hi, like hyping itself up like throughout the Brexit period of this this kind of like was beginning to rumble in the background. There was this kind of like undertone of increasing like reactionary authoritarianism just seeping into everything, and like disenfranchisement became like the byword for all kinds of like conservative operations. It meant that that relationship became a lot less like having like a beautiful stud farm of like cults running around the countryside uh, like glossy mane yeah yeah exactly and then the 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 piss gets collected to make to make hormones um i like it i like it circular metaphor it's good yeah instead of that it's like battery farming yeah as you say and like you're not getting any anything from the state but they're getting a hell of a lot of protein yeah it's like the, the, the cow's bargain has gone sour the cow's bargain what a phrase we moved on from dead like there's a lot of dead animals in this episode <laughs> i feel like it's a <laughs> it's an evocative theme i suppose um if we did it's, oh we... it's it's the fucking alpaca it's geronimo <laughs> fucking hell the shadow of geronimo, the alpaca. Of geronimo on the collective psyche um yeah if we did if we did a youtube show then i would get our our like our, our pet artist that we'd have by now to like make us oh yeah they're easy as piss to come by oh, especially in this community yeah suckers oh. Anyway, I would get my pet artist to make this like concept art of like a frenzied and like placidly grinning uh, Rosie Duffield in her like prim business suit with her like cute bash blonde bowl cut holding like an axe and one of those <laughs> like um, like um, stun guns they use for killing cows and just surrounded with like dead animals. And there's like a you You're just of- describing a, an early 20th century woodcut political cartoon. Yeah, or like- We're just doing like Garrison. a fucking political circular. I think it'd be fun. I think, I think it like, would be. It would be highly amusing. It'd be in like the worst possible taste, which is what we always do. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, that's why our logo is what it is, because n- none of us could do a good a drawing of the concept we wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think, yeah, I think definitely a lot of people are waking up. And again, I guess this is what I meant in terms of COVID and like all of these like big kind of like seismic events for like very normal, politically non-engaged people um, is that people are more and more realizing like just how disenfranchised they are just generally. Because like, I said it's been 10 years since like hardcore austerity kicked in and obviously it's like arguable how related to the party divide that is but whatever definitely hardcore since 2011 and everyone's life pretty much below a certain point is materially way worse and people are seeing that because it's happening in such a short period of time um and so there is a, a real chance i think for more people than ever before to at the very least 
think bigger than dependency on the state. Uh, I, you know, I'm not saying everyone is going to immediately become politically conscious in terms of they start spouting like left com theory, but just like whatever they make, it might be less state heavy. Yeah, this is this is this, that's kind of what I was getting at with this is that if there is this if there is this watershed moment for for like enfranchisement and belief in in these more institutional methods amongst like even even the most uh, like institutional and and like and, and calcified aspects of the L of the LGBT activists blob, then like are we going to get some kind of like positive evolutionary event out of it? Because we have seen that in our in our recent past, uh, like it hasn't been the, sustainable. Well, this is the thing: is it in, in the UK that that like positive evolutionary event, uh, like all blossomed into like early Corbynite optimism, which was like in many ways, like e even for a skeptic like me, was really cool at the time because there was oh like, yeah, it felt good. Like there was lots of cool stuff happening. Like it felt like. It, did, I, it felt like, and I feel like it was the case that the momentum uh, was with us. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, it, it, def it definitely was for a time because that is why they went so hard for Corbyn. Like, I don't think we are kidding ourselves that there was at one point a glimmer of potential for something. Right. But, and the other thing I can think of is something that I've like cited before, both in this podcast and, and in stuff I've written, which is when uh like the american far left had it had its massive explosion in the first year of the trump presidency yes like we were saying about the backlash of the kind of like weight of political energy suddenly sloshing around in the cultural bowl right and the thing is is the americans ended up with the stuff that was more sustainable because the democratic party was so like ridiculously horrendous that yeah, the cost the sunk costs didn't happen so bad the sunk costs didn't happen so bad and also there wasn't actually an easy mechanism available to the democratic party in order to absorb things until yes until dsa the democratic socialists of america basically went all in on, on electoralism like twice in a row yeah i mean arguably like this is why labor was so good at that is that it, i'm pretty sure according to my history that like that's kind of partly the historical function that labor as a party has always served being like yeah, a yeah, no, mouth to is. gulp up worker stuff it, it absolutely is like that's that's not that's not even like worth debating um like if you if you don't agree with that take then i would be very surprised if you're regularly listening to this podcast and enjoying it essentially <laughs> um, we aim to alienate every view <laughs> yeah uh, without I, the same i, I believe i have told the listeners to fuck off three times so far no, it's good. It's good. It's key. It's it'll keep us. It'll keep us safe from the content demons. Yeah, it keeps them on their toes as well. You little shits. <laughs> I have a really wild idea. Um, going with the theme of uh, a shitty, like janky early twentieth century pamphlet that like your mate has done, mm. and they were taking on a long train somewhere, um, like. I really, so the American, the American episode, like we, we turned out to be very pressing and I don't want to credit that to our intelligence or anything, but like we did happen to be right. And so I guess like, obviously we couldn't actually affect the development of the entire American mainstream left overnight. Like that would require, you know, thousands and thousands of people to have, have heard, listened and like internalized and agreed with everything we said and immediately acted on it. Um, 
Whereas I have seen the numbers and I know for a fact that at most like a thousand people listen to that episode. Yeah, like, like yeah, like I, I, I'm like, I'm really pleased that it's, it's like helped people, it's helped, but like we, our warnings weren't actually like going to change anything in America. However, in the UK, we have more knowledge and probably more ability to affect more things because it's our home turf, as it were. Um, but obviously, like, you, you don't want to be like, oh, we're starting the, the blood and turf party. But, like, I wonder if there is a way for us to provide a jumping point for people who um, are interested in doing stuff, like an actual concrete jumping point, rather than saying, like, you know, start a soul net with your friends like an actual uh an actual communicative jumping point i wonder if that would be helpful frankly i have i have a bit of a i have a bit of an idea here because like the thing is is that people so people who who take the anti the anti-electoralist stance often uh-huh. will like come out in like twitter debates or like theory arguments being like oh you need to get more involved with working class activism in your local community which is the most useless advice ever it's kind of like if you I'll, anarchists are a fucking allergic to giving proper instructions for things right so this, this is, is why at crime think everyone says they're cringe they gave instructions for stuff with illustrations Sorry. Um, what I was getting at is it reminds me of like shit bosses um, who will yes. be like, if you get something wrong, they're like, oh, why aren't you using your common sense, you fucking idiot? Why aren't you stacking things in this way? And it's like, well, first of all, common sense is a fake idea. And second of all, sorry, stacking things in what way? That doesn't fit on top of this thing. And also it'll break. It has and supervisor I, I get, energy. I get, I get this. I get this kind of feeling from uh, like activist weirdos which is essentially what we both are which oh is, yeah yeah they're very bad at giving instructions and teaching yes. people how to do stuff um and the people who have actually been able to mobilize stuff really really well recently is the anti-vax crowds and they basically did that by having a giant telegram channel and what they do with the telegram channel is that they use it to point at something and then they go and bully the thing and I feel like the actual solution to our problems is for us to get a Telegram channel and everyone goes into the Telegram channel and then we point it at something and they go and bully the thing. Well, perhaps bullying is not the most productive, only sole use of such a communication platform. I mean, <laughs> this is true. I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying that like... <laughs> okay, so... The re- the re- I, I think that I think, I think actions within a community of, um, you know, things like that, which could include email blasts or text blasts or tweet blasts is a cool idea. Right. Okay. So I was going to expand a bit on my comparison with the, with the anti-vaxxer stuff. Cause like, yeah, um, the thing is, is that at first glance, it kind of looks as like, as it basically just like they're doing occupy, but racist. Yeah. And that is kind of what they're doing, but there is more like subtly, and I don't think they're even like fully conscious of it, although some of them definitely are. There is a more like subtly effective aspect to how they do things, um, which is that like action for action's sake, uh, like breeds competence and it breeds like the will to, to do stuff yeah it's it, it, it's refinement it, of the political energy it's refinement of the political energy it's like getting people used to doing like things yeah um, 
and they are doing it with very very basic bullshit like the same kind of basic bullshit that like newbie leftist activists get asked to do if they turn up to like the socialist society stall at freshers there <laughs> which is are like the left-wing equivalent of this is like you turn up to the, the the free palestine rally and um you 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 carry the placard and like their way of doing things over over in like the anti-vax movement is like you get this shitty sticker printer off of amazon for like 70 pounds which is a lot of money but not bank breaking for most people especially um, most anti-vaxxers well they're not the richest community ever like quite a lot of them are i would not describe as being hugely moneyed based on just like the way that they behave internally but anyway the no, but, but radicalized people um spend more on the, the thing they're obsessed with yeah exactly which is how i got suckered to having all of these leaflets in crates in my apartment but <laughs> we won't go into that <laughs> <laughs> Um, there we go anyway. listen we are never above criticism what i was getting at is that um essentially they 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 get them to do these very basic things which is like run down piccadilly circus in a mob of twenty thousand people buy the shitty printer, uh, sticker printer off of amazon and print out hundreds of stickers and then get fined on tfl when they get fined on tfl for putting stickers all over that stuff then that immediately makes them more insane and dedicated to the cause. And like this basically means that as soon as you've got them above a certain threshold of doing stupid shit for the anti-vax movement, they just continue doing things. It's an event horizon. It's like in terms of like cult dynamics and radicalization for, for new like members, the event horizon for suckering someone is 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 pretty low. Right. If you're well organized, because it's kind of like dandelion advertising. If you have 20,000 people and only a few of them get fined, then you still have five, uh, you know, willing recruits for the next action who will be the ones doing the more complex tasks. Also, like having a whole like sob story on the group chat about how someone just got fined for putting up a nice innocent sticker actually makes it more likely that other people will put up stickers. Yeah, it's like a, well, it's like encourages like a sympathy response and like a, you know, comfort response. And... Dare I say it, solidarity. Okay. So yeah, solidarity. It's, it's, it's like how. Oh, sorry. I have two more comparisons that I would like to like make in order to kind of flesh out the, the point I'm trying to make. Sure, and sorry. Like the other one, like so. The first, the, the first comparison I was making to the anti-vax movement was uh, left-wing stuff, like normal left-wing activism. Basically, the way that the reward system in normal left-wing activism works, as far as I can tell, is that if you get deeply involved in left-wing activism, it's basically uh, like social networking rewards. It's like friendship rewards. You like because you gain new social circle. And that's how basically any um, like subculture works. That's how the the anti-vax stuff works. People make friends. The friends become emotionally rewarding to them, and as a result, they're willing to cut ties with their families because they believe in like QAnon and Jewish lizards and and like uh, people coming to suck bloods and all this kind of stuff, right? And with left-wing uh, activist culture, without, for the most part, most of that crazy stuff, with, except, you know, with some exceptions, people functionally get involved because of a similar reward mechanism, which is that there's like a friendly welcoming place that fundamentally agrees with, um, like their core principles and beliefs and where there's some kind of like reward system that also chimes in with that set of personal philosophies 
So like people, people do the activism and the activism is rewarding. Um, in the trans community, like what well, the anglophonic trans community anyway, which is the one that I'm exposed to, um, the bits of the community that I know most, like the online bits, and it seems to be much more oriented around like bits of online subcultures that are primarily not particularly political, uh, you know, like basically like things like, you know, discussions about like sex and sexuality, uh, fucking video game community obviously is monolithic. Um, this kind of, it's like more general cultural subcultures well it's because like with with trans stuff like there there isn't there's a there's no inherent political buy-in you're you have skin in the game and so like if you're following people because you agree with them politically or they have interesting things to say politically you're still going to get a wider cross-section politically of the trans community just because of that i think so you will get this stuff right sure um and i guess like if i was to like try and instigate some kind of change to the way things were going what i would want to see is a way of like altering the internal reward dynamics in the left-wing community in such a way that like aggressively going after trans stuff was rewarded in a way that didn't encourage that kind of rather um patronage based thing that we were critiquing earlier but still did encourage like rather aggressive acts of solidarity you know hand in hand with 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 the trans community and meanwhile like within the trans community the reward mechanisms in in that kind of realm became such that people were rewarded for being coherently organized fuck i left my copy of armed joy at work I was going to pull it out to quote something from it. You're such a fucking idiot. Also, I was reading it out to... I found it. It's okay. It was on my pillow. I was reading it out to my co-worker. Uh, hey everybody, so basically uh, we recorded the first half of this episode like two days into the Labour conference and then it got like exponentially worse so we've had to come back for like a brief return and because in the intervening time, like a week later, all this completely insane shit has happened and we're just going to run through it and explain what we think this means for the general uh, like situation via VTERFs the UK, Labour, the Tories, and party politics, and how that's going to affect incipient bubbling fascism in the political cauldron that is the United Kingdom. Yeah, and we we may have spent, you know, months and months not giving you an episode, but we did, you know, we've done two recordings last minute, so you cannot question our commitment to news and, and shit at, at B&T Industries. Yeah, it's just that we have greater commitments to playing video games on Steam. Or, you know, family bereavements. Yeah, important things. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here because we love you listeners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So potted, what the fuck is going on? 
as of our re-recording. Yeah, I believe you had some thoughts on this, didn't you, E? Yeah, I think it's probably really important. I like I was saying this morning, like Keir has managed to like fuck it both ways because like he avoided talking about trans stuff to the point where it was very clear that he was like couldn't do anything to stop fucking Duffield. And so everyone who cared about trans people even slightly has left the party. Yes. I.e. if i.e. if you're still in the Labour Party, we know you fucking hate us. Um, but then when he finally did mention trans people, it allowed the fucking Tories to turn it into not just a cultural issue generally, but like a party political cultural issue because like Sergeant Javid was like, ah, I'm going to fight Keir. And then they were like, ah, we're inviting TERFs to our conference. So it's now managed to become an electoralist politics issue, which is not good, especially considering today's news of we're going to get a war crimes general to run the NHS to stop the woke yeah, so we're going to have to talk about the general um, because that's like it technically it doesn't directly mention anything to do with like trans healthcare in his appointment. I think it's more to do with like the general Trumpist trend within within the within like the UK Conservatives right now, where they seem to be going in this like quite American politics direction. Um, I think, but it think, will it will be bad for trans healthcare is certainly my like strong suspicion. I think we can point to it specifically being bad for trans healthcare because I'm not sure if we covered this when we originally recorded, but essentially um, last year the GICs, which everyone knows and which you know people finally have the data support to support, just don't bother fucking treating us. Um, randomly removed a bunch of. Uh, services. So they've removed bottom surgery services for um, several uh, feminizing uh, genital surgery providers or whatever term the, they call it. Um, and they also revo- removed the entire provision for uh, GIC signed off hysterectomies and all masculinizing bottom surgery in the entirety of the British Isles. And they did that for no reason. They, they, they were renegotiating a contract and they awarded it to the exact same surgeons just to fuck everyone around and because it took so long and because it was so terrible people actually directly petitioned Sajid Javid the Department of Health guy and so his response to Keir Starmer going oh I guess I don't hate trans people that much was hitting out at him directly was like a real direct fuck you because he he will have been um, informed about this because one trans person did manage to get hold of the one friend trans friendly Tory MP I think the gay one who, who did speak to Sajid about this. So like, he knows this is going on, even if, uh, you know, he should know anyway, because it's his fucking job. And his response was to continue this cultural shit. And also, you know, the NHS has been cut to shit. It's arguably, you know, already been dealt many mortal blows and is sort of a dead corpse walking. And so to announce a general to cut back on waste and wokery, like there's no waste left. They are rationing cancer care currently. They've just decided to do... I mean, the, the pandemic showed that they're well willing to do eugenics and now doctors are being forced to just not give oncology care, not do blood tests. So like there's nothing left to cut. And, and like M says, it is this American kind of like incoherent populism that just makes no sense. And so all you can really, as I think someone at Glumbird on Twitter said, like you can only really read this as we're going to fuck with disabled people and migrants and trans people. Like there's kind of, there's no waste left to cut. There's no wokery that they can do else elsewise because you know the one thing that we do still have is the ea 2010 and although leg, you know legislative attacks have really eroded the sense of how that applies to trans people it does apply to other protected categories and is pretty strongly um <clears throat> respected as such and so those are really the only three avenues they can continue to go after and so they will 
Right. So the thing, the thing about the appointment of this guy from the Marines to, to being like NHS War, war Crimes McGee. Whatever his name is. I'm not going to bother learning who he is until he does something. Um, the thing about this is that the reason why I mentioned it being kind of like Trumpian is that Trump's thing like early on, and I think like a lot of the like Clintonite uh, Republican liberal type guys really complained about was the fact that he was appointing like a like a fair few ex-generals to notionally civilian or civil service jobs like cabinet positions like there was that thing where he where he appointed like the guy who's in charge of storming basra to be like a senior white house official um now the use of the military in like the civil architecture of a state if it's not already been a norm and that's like that like starts to change is like a fairly strong generalized indicator of like slipping standards of political culture from a liberal point of view um particularly if you're worried about like the the like the deliberalization and the desecularization of the state via v the the military which is in terms of the development of like proto-fascism a fairly important indicator in and of itself so yeah, it's like even if you're not concerned about the general over, over overlap with the transphobia bandwagon, which obviously we should be, this would be quite concerning to begin with. The other thing is that states generally only start to do this if they have had previously reasonably functional civil services. If that if that civil services begins to become dysfunctional and which other is what's happened the in the UK. Yeah, and other parts of the general state apparatus are beginning to not be able to do stuff as well. So like you you don't really you have you're not really going to see this happening with for example like Germany or Japan or South Korea. Um, well, South but, South Korea is a different case I think because that they've had like the military dictatorship sort of like military guys in civil roles for a while. Yes, that that is the thing. Like all three of those all the, all three of those countries do have like strong uh, like twentieth like late twentieth century traditions of like having kind of like clear not clear boundaries but like reasons for not wanting to commit certain mistakes again if you see what i mean yes but by the by the same token um when you get countries where like the civil apparatus is in, is insufficient to deal with major state crises and they start turning to the military it's it's generally an indication of severe systemic poor health it's like right now the big systemic crisis in the uk generally is like the is like the the like the, the, the backwash from like a decade and a half of austerity plus the covid crisis and this is basically stretched straight like state capacity to engage in like complex decision making to a functional breaking point so i, I my, think um oh. sorry my my like reasoning here is that this is not only an indication of like generalized creeping authoritarianism or or like perhaps trundling authoritarianism at this point uh, it's also an indication that like the ideas bucket is running dry in terms of crisis capacity management ideas and now that they're kind of like in terms of like the the populist side of things doing lots of like backlash shit to minorities in terms of their like deep state mechanics they're now also beginning to run a bit dry on, on like ways to solve issues so they are turning to these kind of like bullshit ideas like send the army in yeah like, like, oh we'll this is this like because they tried to do oh we'll do it with algorithms right which is essentially their initial 
COVID response was, hi, we'll do new tech, like we'll get Dominic Cummings to, to, to wave the magic wand. Because whenever governments say, oh, we will solve this problem with technology, it is the equivalent of the king saying, hi, I will get the court wizard to magic the plague away. Yeah, and it's like, it's... Um... <clears throat> This is super obvious in the fact that, you know, they're now like fucking sending the army in to deliver fuel and they're admitting that there's going to be a, a winter of discontent. Like they have fucked it. And and, and it's not even like we're going to do a backlash on minorities to do weird right populist bread and circuses. Like it's the most half-assed, like you, oh, everyone it's what, loves it's to... what you do when you can't do other things. It, yeah, you, it's like because it every... looks like a power move, but it really, really isn't. Yeah, it's like. Citing Armando Iannucci is super, super cliche, and, like, the guy is a fucking Tory, but the one thing he was very good at was a specific, like, satirizing a specific kind of, like, shit politicians, like, just being fucking useless and not having any ideas. And, like, it really reads like something like that. But in regards to you talking about the um, the, the kind of failure of the, the civil kind of aspect, Jolly and Morm, everyone's favorite fox killer, who is, you know, going to bat for trans rights, blah, blah, blah. We it's all so very embarrassing much, that this is our guy now. Yeah, know, we, we've said, guy now, we've said this killer. so many times. We have to be Jolly on tankies. It's awful. <laughs> but, 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 but Jolly on, I think, interestingly you know from someone who's from a really professionalized background as opposed to us who are garbage eaters you know we've spoken about how uh the the kind of like politicization and the fuckness of all of these regulatory bodies is causing an issue but he recently shared um a prospect magazine uh interview with the outgoing public appointments commissioner about his concern about basically the the fairness of all these commissions in places like the CQC and Ofcom. And his, his comment was, this is, especially given the coded way in which senior public figures in England make their points, a very troubling interview. And I read the interview and it is basically this dude in the most roundabout way possible, just being like, the appointments are completely stuffed. The government has just been doing this, like you said, just appointing random people to unsuited roles and I think it really makes sense especially according to the last five years where you've heard rumblings from senior civil servants who are like how the BBC used to be broadly centrist but kind of of a right slant and they have sort of they've given up with the fucking Tories because they're too insanely I love doing fascism which like they were evil before but they've 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 gone it's like for the for liberals that 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 line between business as usual and you know, the sort of 2016, oh my God, Trump is in, is really the gaucheness and the blatancy. And like you said, the gaucheness and the blatancy kind of comes from them running out of ideas. And I think it also comes from them just getting away with shit and sort of being like, ah, we could just do this. And people in the UK are sort of starting to see this too little, too late. You know, where were you in 2011? But um, it, it's really all the chickens are coming home to roost. Like every public appointment is being staffed by a random person. And this, 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 this war, war crimes McGee is like just the latest in a, in quite a long line of this at this point. Right, because previously public appointments in the UK were basically were basically kind of like boring if, shit. Yeah, it, no was, it was boring shit. It was given to it was given to like Cambridge graduate technocrats, but now it's given to kind of like startup guys. Mm. Uh, and like this is functionally what like the what like the trash future podcast makes its bread and butter off is is like just looking into whatever the latest like incredibly like banal and infantile corruption scandal is and it'll always be something like well someone who Sajid Javid was in like a thing a thing with like a business adventure with or something met at the pub met at the, met, yeah met at like the gentleman's club or whatever has decided to bid for a government contract to supply Wellington boots. 
And the way that they're going to supply Wellington boots is that there's going to be like a downloadable app that they've like made. And the app is going to use the blockchain to source boots from like a horizontal sorting system that people sign up to using their phones. And then it will turn out that what they actually mean is that you email a photo of your Wellington boots to a bunch of interns and then the interns are like, we would like to buy your boots. And then it doesn't happen because they forget to send you the bill for the boots. That's yes, kind I, of like how government like procurement is working now. Because do you remember all the procurement like stuff that we had to dig into when we did the plague episode? And it was like all of the all of the weird like NHS uh, last minute things they had to tap into. It was kind of like when in the Iraq War there was that thing where someone started selling the Americans fake landmine detectors that were literally just like the modern equivalent of like waving around a wishbone. Yeah, and it's like again, as Jolyon, like, because, because, like I said, like, it's, it's, it's weird that Jolyon's our guy, but he is currently like the only sort of professionalized, like, respectable man who is actually bothering to go after the government in any way whatsoever. And the two things he's doing at the moment are, funnily enough, trans stuff and going after the government about the PPE procurement. And it's just all if, if you follow his like um social media it's all articles about this stuff being like oh and the government have deleted their whatsapp chat that had them doing a bunch of crimes oh they're refusing to hand over their you know their phones with all of the whatsapp chats showing that they did these crimes and it's 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 just becoming like everything's held together with a spit and prayers the problem is is that the spit and prayers are going to come to an end extremely soon and they've made it very clear that they are they're going after a specific subset of the population to distract who they think are like the voters from everything falling apart as it's going to do yeah um, which so brings could, us back to the labor party conference really yeah but but i mean what i what i can see is what we're looking at is either the government like completely dies and hurts itself in its confusion or more likely they're able to hold things together just long enough to inflict way worse horror than they're currently doing while they hurt themselves in their confusion yeah, it's like, I mean, I guess like my final note on like the, the Jolion thing is like, if Jolion was like a Labour Party leading MP and his right-hand man was famous footballer Mark Rashford, then the whole like 20 points ahead thing that all of the centrists love to like yell about when Corbyn was in the Labour Party um, that would actually be reality now. But instead we have the, just like, the dribbling sack of meats that is that is Sir Keith. <laughs> well, I mean, Sir Keith is on the one hand a dribbling sack of meat, but on the other hand, he's doing an exceedingly good job of what the entire ruling class want, which is for the Labour Party to be utterly destroyed. Yeah. And for us to ad officially admit that we are currently in a one-party system, which we have been for years. Yes. Essentially, we want to become uh, Japan, except with crumpets. Yes, and also just buying China's discount Uyghur detention camp technology. And without a functioning naval presence anyway. Yes, but that's, yes. That's one of my own like personal like pet requests. <laughs> we, we won't indulge me for another episode. <laughs> I think what's important as we segue into our old, old recording footage, which I can't quite remember too good, um, <laughs> it, it is, is, is to remember that we, we recorded it basically just before everything got way, way worse. And we always say at BNT, like, we can't record fast enough because everything happens so much. But... It really the 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 care finally like saying something about trans stuff and immediately being jumped on 
it's like he gave the Tories exactly what they wanted. He waited just long enough that he couldn't actually have sway with the minority he was supposed to be speaking for. And then he it would actually honestly would have been better if he'd not said anything at all, because now since recording, we've heard that three Labour MPs are thinking of defecting to Boris. Obviously, one of those is Duffield. But like he's given her such a long leash that this all of this chaos has managed to happen because he couldn't be bothered to fucking get off the fence. I would honestly have respected him more if he'd been like, Do you know what? I'm a Labour leader who hates trans people, whereas instead he's functionally said that, but then mentioned us in enough of a quizzling way that he's allowed the Tories to make him look like a liberal on trans issues and make themselves at like, you know, hardline, sensible conservatives. The worst they, of both they've worlds. done it in a way that means that not only has like Keir looked like a dipshit again and alienated himself. What a surprise. Even, even more from like the centre left pro LGBT Labour people who were still for some reason hanging around. But he's also managed to, they've also managed to like clearly like cleave him off from sections of the PLP. Because the thing is that those three defections are not the only issues in the PLP at the minute, the parliament. No, just the thing, the There's Labour Party. Of discontent MPs. They're really unhappy. Yeah, they're and the Labour broadly, loads of MPs hate him. Yeah, and also a lot of them genuinely do have been turf pilled. So like he has genuinely managed to piss off a lot more people than Duffield. Because I, I reckon, like, the turf, like, the actively ideologically committed turf wing in the Parliamentary Labour Party is not the majority of the Parliamentary Labour Party. Like, it's probably a few no. dozen, it's probably a few dozen MPs, but a few dozen MPs is a lot of MPs. Yeah, it's like, it's, it, they are the minority, absolutely. However, it's not just Duffield. Yeah, like, they the are, they is are that, is that, like, because they're a committed minority and the, the other committed minority is institutionally disempowered as a result of the change in leadership in Labour, it means they have this, like, pocket battleship type thing going on where they can really punch above their weight which is why we, you know we discussed this in in various other episodes including the labor party like the, the 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 left like the uk left episode months and months and months ago like it's all about these people being able to like leverage institutional scenarios to mean they can kind of punch outside their class and appear to be bigger than they are like there's there's a lot of like shadow boxing and kind of like political jujitsu that goes on and it's all like quite stupid like it seems it seems like they're like being like masterful strategists and it's not it's just that their chosen opponents are like really quite tactically inept shit lib centrists who don't really have a have a sense for where the woods are in the trees yeah it's like if you have like a, a big game hunter who thinks he's like a smart dude and it's like no you just have all of the latest technology and you are shooting essentially like moose in a barrel and also um, like also like the thing is is that um it's it's kind of like I guess I guess like if you the other, the other thing I was thinking of in relation to hunting metaphor as soon as he said big game hunter was that was that thing where like uh, the hunter's like stalking a tiger and he he's he's waiting in the spot where the tiger always comes and then he hears a noise behind him and he sees the tiger's opening mouth. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's kind of like that. Um, I guess the other stuff that we got to talk about with the Labour Party things is that there's been finally that kind of like colossal exodus of... of finally, of, yeah, like the fifth wave of resignations of people who consider themselves liberal or leftist. Finally, 
everyone else has left. Because the party, the party conference in general, has been a complete disaster for Labour. Like, yeah, I going- mean, they endorsed friends of the Labour, friends of the police, a day before Wayne Cousins. It was shown was you know not just an evil piece of shit, but was helped by all the other evil pieces of shit that make up the plague of blue locusts in this country. Yeah, like when you're trying, to, when you're having to like constantly, and they wouldn't backtrack either. There was no cry typing; they just stuck by it. Yeah, and the thing is, is like they they kept having to like delete and then sheepishly repost with no changes whatsoever their like shitty uh twitter post about how they were going to put more bobbies on the beat a phrase which i am beginning to just loathe with a passion it's just it's like this complete like beginning well the thing is it's like it's always been a complete cancer in british politics it's just that now it's it's like entered this pantomimish role which is just i can't listen to this phrase anymore without my teeth vibrating individually in their sockets. I think what's really, yeah, what's also, what's very important to note around the police stuff is that like Corbyn should actually absolutely be held accountable for waffling on that issue. You know, like like him acquiescing to the more bobbies on the beat political drum was completely against his actual, he don't, the man has actual politics. That's why people loved him so much. Um, You know, for all his faults, he's not Keir Starmer. Well, Keir Starmer has politics and his politics are being evil, racism and loving cops. But, um, you know, he acquiesced to that. It clearly didn't sit with his usual politics. And that, unfortunately, has in part led to where we are today. And, and I think, you know, as awful as Keir is, the historical Labour Party absolutely needs to be held accountable, including the only left-wing MPs who are still around, such as Diane Abbott, who is quite famously um, uh, will be pro-cop when it suits her and, and people like that. It is not just a Keir issue. And this is why everyone who is still in the Labour Party is, you know, you should be spitting at them, uh, honestly, um, because it's just... Yeah, you need, uh, to do, you need to do the thing that people didn't actually do with troops coming home from Vietnam. Yeah, you need to actually do that because there is nothing worth salvaging. The whole political project is dead and gone and is nothing but a putrulent corpse which can cause infections to those who touch it. So the other thing I think we should talk about is the fact that the, the, LGBT, the LGBT alliance is going to be at the Tory party conference. They are currently, as we record, at the, at the Tory party conference. Oh God, of course it started. I completely forgot. So my thinking, and you may disagree with this, is do you remember a while ago LGBT, LGB Alliance were given charitable status and that was made into news? Uh, yeah, obviously. And of course, they were given charitable status by a charity commission, which has become politicized for the Tories, because as re- as listeners will remember, um, the Tories basically continued their early austerity um, harassment of charities, because uh, quite early on, they basically said to charities, if you criticize the Tory party, you don't get any funding. Of course, they cut it later anyway. So more fool on the charities for listening. But um, that they continued this. And so now charities broadly uh again more harmful than they used to be because they have to cooperate with the government and the cops and and, and councils and and things like that to fuck over migrants most most often but um <clears throat> i'm getting away from the point the the lgb alliance were awarded charitable status they never should have been but they were that became news i think it's a similar thing in the sense of everyone knows there's money to be made off trans stuff especially hitting them especially um you know commenting on that as well because you know, cis people reliably know, and I'm talking about all of your fucking favorite celebrities on twitter.com, they know that sharing scary things about trans stuff is a reliable way to get clicks, not even necessarily outrage at this point, usually just fear and horror, which they're all profiting off. Um, And so 
I suspect that there is a portion of the Tory party who wanted LGB alliance there. I suspect that LGB alliance knew that they would have a welcome home there, regardless of whether or not it was explicit. They, they just knew that they could get away with it and they pushed for it because they're, provo they're provocateurs. That's, that's, their that's their focus. And I suspect that either a an anti-trans Tory member pushed for it either to happen or become news, or, as you say, there was more of an opportunistic thing because this happened after the Sajid Keir little spat that they had. Um, and so I, I genuinely think that it was at least slightly purposeful. I don't think it was entirely opportunistic. Just going by what I know of quite high up Tory movers and shakers and their genuine thoughts on trans people like Liz Truss hates the tran, Sajid Javid hates the tran. You don't need to know whether or not Boris Johnson even knows what a trans person is to know that there is at least some faction of the Tories who would love to see this become part of their weird party crusade. And also I, yeah, I media, the media is in the fucking Tories pocket anyway. So like it, 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 at this point, there's a convergence. I think it's like, a, it's almost like a happy little accident, which one person in a back room may have prodded for or a few. Yeah, I think, I think bluntly, I would agree. The other thing I think is important about the LGB Alliance presence at the Tory conference is like the growing kind of like American Republican partyization of the, mm. of the Tory party is something I've been thinking about a lot recently, particularly with relation to the thing I mentioned earlier, with which is like the collapse of state function and the reliance on like militarist appointments, which, which mm. is like such a huge Republican thing. Uh, like, you know, love of love of the army, we'll send the army in, we'll get a general to do it, all of that kind of thing is like classic American uh, right populist politics. Uh, because they had got that massive fetish for the military, which we have got like a lesser version of over here. Uh, but the thing is, is that it's not the only way in which the, the Tory party has been republicanizing over, over like the last kind of couple, like decade or so. I have this like personal opinion that British like party politics in general, uh, like across the Labour Party and and the, the the Tories is kind of like going through this shift that reminds me very heavily of when the like the Tea Party cropped up in in the US following um, like Sarah Palin being the vice presidential candidate alongside John McCain when they initially ran against Obama's first term. Um, because like we've had these big populist dipshit right wing shifts like, you know, Brexit and the general culture war stuff and like the rise of like uh, kind of like the Tommy Robinsons and all that kind of thing, which are all which were all kind of like very kind of like British phenomena. But as far as like party architecture and party behaviors go, the kind of like the intellectual structures and like the technocrat clout hasn't really started to dissolve until like after Brexit and now that the Brexit thing happened and we had this kind of like essentially like crypto UKIPer coup uh, there's been this big change in how MPs behave publicly I feel uh, which was which was always going to happen and was kind of like creeping along like you know political discourse in in like parliamentary terms has never in, in the UK actually been that intelligent it's not been as smart as it thinks it is like I'm not going to say that like the Blair years were a golden year of like classical antiquity politics where great like statesmen were talking like Socrates and, and, and Plato or, or, or all this kind of nonsense but there's definitely been kind of like a bullshitification of policy 
Um, and I see the LGBT, the LGBT alliance as being part of one aspect of this bullshitification of policy, of this kind of like Americanization of how the Tories operating. And that's that it connects in with the with like the rising money influence of evangelicals in like British right wing politics. Yeah, it very much has the flavor of like, you know, Mothers of America kind of um, uh, groups where like, again, they it's will have these pack shit. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's really interesting as well is if, if we cast our mind back to sort of the first hard turf interaction with the Tory party, it was like a Venice Allen and a few other people meeting with David Davis and basically being essentially given like a private tour of fucking parliament and having a chat with David Davis, like impressive. And David Davis got... is like an old grandee of the party. Like he, he could yeah. have been prime minister at one point. Yeah. And like, you know, it was at the time, it was impressive that they got, that they got to chat with him and it was concerning what they might have chatted about. But I remember at the time people being like, oh, well, they just chatted with him. And of course, now we've gotten to the point where LGB Alliance are being endorsed by a bunch of high up Tories and they're at their conference. And I think it's interesting that the, the seeds of this were before, you know, before basically all of this uh, devolution of political competence happened. And it's now when everything is coming off the reins that they are like, yes, yes, come in. We are going to officially welcome you now. Um, you know, it was there, there was whining and dining, but it, it, it truly didn't seem to be going a great you know, de deal of um, distance until, like you say, things started falling off the wheels. Does, does that mean that, um, you know, we don't have anything to worry about or we didn't have anything to worry about back then? Absolutely not. I almost think what happened is that the kind of turf shit was kept in the back pocket for when it was needed. And now it's needed. They're going they're going full ham for it. It's it, regardless of whether it was it was like kept in the back pocket in an intelligent way, in a systemic sense, it was like systemic, yeah, I'm not, systemically. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that David Davis came to Boris and was like, listen, dude, in five years, we're going to put these people in the spotlight. No, indeed. Exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the Tory party as an organism. Uh, yeah. it, it, like we, we've used this metaphor before, but like the Tory party as an organism would occasionally is the kind of thing that it will, it will always put out feelers to different kind of like sociocultural groups and interest groups or whatever in order ex in exactly the reason for this is to is to have the ability to suddenly activate things later on the way i've been thinking about this and, and forgive me if this is a little bit too metaphorical is um if, if people are familiar with uh plants that grow uh vines and tendrils to cling onto things an interesting fact about those tendrils is that they are not they do not use the living energy of a plant they are grown in a way that the differing tension allows them to coil so when they activate these tendrils those tendrils are activated essentially by physics that the plant is not necessarily choosing to do them at any one time. It's just when, you know, when the conditions are correct, these tendrils will coil around this and, and create, a, you know, a pathway for the path to grow further, for the plant to grow further. And I kind of view it in a similar way. When we talk about these tendrils, we are not necessarily stating that any one person or any one part of the organization is choosing to divert energy to each yeah, tendril. Like the Tory... It's that they, they are also almost automatically activated as it were and if and when the environment changes the, the plant or the organism will will divert its path and divert energy towards that direction but not necessarily because of any specific amount of living energy that has been directed there before they're just like throwing out these these fucking tendrils to all of these groups like m said yeah it's perversely suitable for the tory party really because instead of making uh, like coherent centralized decisions via the politburo standing committee of the party conference what they're actually doing is they're allowing the invisible hand of the market to guide them 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think the LGBT Alliance's presence at the conference is specifically interesting in that context because the LGBT Alliance, as we've spoken about our kind of fascist ecology before, has firmly been bedded in within the Tory Tory party's like glass house, as it were. And so it's almost up to the turfs themselves where that takes them. The Tories have just given them a home now. And as we I... see, they've managed to do a lot without one. So uh, now that they've gotten one, uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Yes, uh, I'm not exactly looking forward to it. I do, I do think that it's it's interesting that all of this is kind of like slotted into kind of like the CPAC ification. We're using ification a lot in this episode. Yeah, you know, like it's the general. Like, I, I really do think that there's like a general Americanization of behavioral norms in the Conservative Party and in yeah. like the British state in general. Um, and it's I, it's just it's just like it's deeply kind of like morbidly fitting that I it think happened what- in this way. I think what's also interesting is if we want to take a big zoom out and get all galaxy brain about it, in America, we've seen challenges against Roe v. Wade, which is functionally dead. Um, In Northern Ireland, they've shut one of the, I think, one of the only abortion providers. And in China, they are doing a massive crackdown on basic, basically like faggy degeneracy. Oh, God, of course, they're they're banning e-boys. Yes, but also, and I think more importantly, that is very funny for the internet, but more seriously, they are really cracking down on LGBT stuff, like genuinely, like not just game shit and e-boy shit, but like uh, really, really increasing the violence uh, amongst uh, LGBT citizens in the People's Republic. And um, I think it's interesting that all of these large states are facing these challenges, partly caused, caused by COVID, partly caused by the fact that, you know, you cannot have endless growth, capitalism bad, et cetera. And it's almost a staid kind of fallback that they are all deciding to do the gender cultures in some form. Obviously, you're seeing this also in Poland. Poland is doing a bunch of refugee murdering whilst at the same time making headlines as being anti-LGBT. Hungary, you know, all of these places, they 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 are falling back on this specific reactionaryism as sort of a diversion and smokescreen and as their own state apparatuses apparati whatever um apparatus apparatus apparati are failing for whatever reason um and i think it is like it's worth looking at in that context in the sense of it is not just like we say specific turfs or specific to anti-trans people in any specific party but it's the political environment is super super ripe for an upswing of uh you know gendered violence essentially yeah. So the everywhere, thing is, is that, like the normal, the normal like fascist narrative about like why empires fall is that like oh the fall of Rome happened because they allowed degeneracy. The, yeah, because of degeneracy, and they allowed the barbarians in. Like all of the senators were like financially corrupt. They were all they were all too gay. They were having sex with too many Greek boys, and as a result, as a result, the Visigoths were able to trample over the frontier. But and, and China is literally doing that narrative. I think. Yeah, and the thing is, this this is actually the opposite to how it works. Is that when uh, like big imperial state projects begin to like run into systemic problems and in like the US, in the UK and in China, although arguably the UK is nowhere near being an imperial power, but it's an, inter- oh, no. it's an interesting example of a similar phenomenon. Well, also um, we live here, so we have to, we have to compare them. Yeah. So like, the thing that, the thing that like kind of marries all of these examples together and would explain why they've, they're all undergoing these like reactionary spirals is that they've all hit up against like, long-standing internal economic contradictions which are causing serious problems in the state at a time when 
all three of those states are run by like in the standards of the internal political systems conservative and like relatively like unadventurous politicians like Xi Jinping is a highly conservative figure in Chinese politics and he's not just conservative he's like he's like conservative in a way that isn't traditionalistic uh, mm. so like in Chinese politics like if you're a conservative it generally means that you're kind of like a Maoist you want to go back to the good old days before Deng Xiaoping uh, like opened up the, com- the country and began like the economic reforms which was what kind of precipitated the massive explosion of the Chinese economy in the latter half of the 20th century was was that was that like post-cultural revolution um, change in economic and domestic policies well that era of leaders in China uh, like the guys who were like protégés of Deng Xiaoping is now over Xi Jinping is a completely different kind of political animal and it's been under his control that like the repression of Hong Kong happened, that uh, like military aggression towards ta- Taiwan happened, and in which like all of this stuff to do with Uyghur minorities in, in, in like the Eastern Central Eurasian deserts happened as well. Now that's happening because the Chinese state is like fundamentally in a bit of a crunch point. Uh, they've got serious economic problems uh, they've got serious economic problems, both in terms of like the structure of their economy and in terms of their like general political apparatus, because they've got both an issue with a severely aging population and a young population that has access to like markets and social spheres that are outside of what the, the Chinese Communist Party would want to control. And you know what? That's exactly the same to what's happened in the UK and the US. You've got like these old guard motherfuckers like Trump and Biden who are essentially marketing themselves to like florida boomers and as is the as are the conservatives um i saw a party flyer that was basically like give us money in your will which means that you're old and gonna die soon yes it and like it's it's like they're they are marketing themselves to like the 70 year olds like hyper racist weirdos who have been driven like to the nth dimension of conspiracy theory madness over the last several years by like immigrant fear and like the recession and the NHS collapsing. So their health is failing and they're feeling really scared and paranoid and their kids don't love them anymore because their kids don't hate black people quite as much. And all the, all like the teenagers are really scary and gay. So they're all, they're all really like easily duped into being like victim members of the conservative death cult. And this is this is a commonality across like pretty much all of the major imperial capital centers of of the planet right now. Like it's it's the case in East Asia, it's the case in like North America, and it's the case in Europe. And in the Anglophonic world, like in Australia, uh, the US, and the UK, right now that happens to blend in quite happily with like turf shit because of you know the aftermath of the last like decade of like liberal culture war stuff pissing off the tories and pissing off like fascists and republicans because gay marriage got legalized and women have been allowed to have abortions for too long yeah it's it's, it's very much like um i'm, I'm gonna quote banana again <laughs> we're gonna have to read another book <laughs> 
no, but when he speaks, so everything must be submitted to the symbol of quantitative accumulation. The demands increase as militant forces grow. In the same way, the rate of the social profit that is taking the place of private profit must grow. So capital enters a new illusory spectacular phase. Old needs press on insistently under new labels. The God, the God of productivity continues to rule unrivaled. So in this section, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll save you. He, he's talking about the cycle of, you know, things change apparently for the better and you get this social profit and this, this, this liberal stuff, right? So you gaze are start to be allowed to marry women are allowed those abortions again you know people are allowed to be let hate crime for the color of their skin less and then uh you know uh he says um the social peace hits us the silence of the graveyard then the effects of monotony the curtain rises on unforeseen situations the capitalist machinery begins to falter and then that's the first thing to get cut back like when we're talking about how the fascists talk about how degeneracy leads to fascism Degeneracy doesn't lead to fascism, obviously. However, it's a real fucking convenient excuse because it will have been like the most, uh, you know, cherry on top of the cake of the state is nice to you and is always the first thing to be taken away. And, and like, I think that's why this is happening everywhere. And it's, it's a great excuse to be like, oh, we've gone too far. We are being too nice to you now because we allowed you some nice things because if they allowed you too many nice things, you would expect nice things. And it's better to take them away from the degenerates because statistically most people aren't degenerates like we are um yeah it's like it's like you've got to start by by making it illegal to have like a boyfriend with pink hair because if, I, one, if you can if you can do that then you can like make it illegal to have to, to like have a house if you're not from the right cast it, you know this is basic 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 politics stuff. basic stuff but like, i think all this sorry. comes down to like first principles how to be a prick in politics things at the end of the day like none of it is desperately complex all of the stuff that's happened in the Labour Party and the Tory Party over the last couple of weeks is very kind of like blatant and banal and obvious but I think it is important to see it in this kind of like greater picture of um, rejecting modernity and returning to tradition. And I think segueing back to War Crimes McGee and talking about how this is always the first thing to go is specifically the headlines about it where he's been brought in to shake up the NHS and to cut down waste and wokery. And yes, people focus on the wokery thing, you know, what could that mean? But also the waste is important because, like I said earlier, where is the waste? Well, the waste, if you're trimming the fat of the state, we've, you know, we've just said who comes first. It, 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 it's going to be migrants, it's going to be disabled people. And I think considering that we have a podcast where we go over and over you know shit that random turfs have said it's really worth looking at the things that you know um, Mallory Moore has been speaking about a lot where you know she she focuses on again and again and she's right to do so the NHS alone has a higher body count than any turf in the world and that is not to say that they are not physically violent because they have been and will continue to be it's not to say that you know the state and the police aren't violent because they have been and will continue to be but the 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 health service which is already extremely violent towards migrants disabled people and trans people which is already institutionally transphobic and which already thanks to the state has an obligation to fuck over migrants and thanks to covid is just full throttle doing eugenics now um it's really important for all of the listeners of this podcast and anyone who pretends to care about trans solidarity to remember that and to remember that like the healthcare stuff is going to be like you know we've we've almost come full circle we started with the the turfs wooing david davis and now they're at the fucking party conference at this point 
that stuff is kind of out of our hands. But what isn't out of our hands is healthcare solidarity. If you are a cis person and you give a shit about a trans person, learn to be a health advocate. It's not that hard. Um, you know, maybe do some police uh, observer training. Some, some, some young people in Manchester all signed up to be legal observers after the police violence in Manchester. And that, that seemed to have worked out great. Stuff like that, health stuff, do something like that because that's something that we could actually change. Whereas the Tufts are fully embedded in, 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 in the party political apparatus at this point, as, as we've just shown. Yeah, I just really wanted to emphasize the NHS thing and also get in a few more pot shots for fucking cutie dunk fuckers. If I have to see another cis person making a joke by cutie dunking on some news uh, at the expense of trans people, when I see none of you lot doing anything of useful material solidarity, I'm going to start naming names. There's a reason this podcast is pseudo-anonymous, and it's so that I can call all of you motherfuckers to account without being harangued. Like, I'm, I am honestly fed up at this point. It's super, super obvious, as we've shown, like, we are not the only people doing this analysis. We are not the smartest people doing this analysis. Like M says, it's pretty obvious, banal stuff. And the only reason that you fuckers aren't getting on board is because you are clearly self-interested in perpetuating it. You know, it's, it's not helpful to trans people to randomly do a cutie dunk of a turf or a member of government saying something awful. What it is is upsetting to trans people. Yes, we talk about this stuff because it's important, but no one needs to hear your crass little joke. Sign up for a fucking healthcare advocacy course. Do something useful with your life. Touch grass. Mm, I am very angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was quite, that's above it for, for what you're normally like. <laughs> anyway um on that uh cheery note uh i guess we shall sign off the episode for now uh it's gonna be a hell of a time editing this i wonder what it's gonna come out like but yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Um, no idea what the next one will be like as you can tell um uh, we've been a bit of a state over here at blunt turf industries um lot of important video games and also some funerals apparently uh, so we will we will continue to produce content sorry about the wait see you sometime in the future. Bye. Bye. Hey everybody, uh, it's M here again. Uh, I'm just kind of like doing one last editor's note. So there's a couple of things I wanted to bring up from that last section uh, and just kind of circle back to. And first of all, um, an apology for the like very bad pronunciation of the of the pronunciation of like various different Chinese political leaders' names. Um, I'm not. I don't know how to pronounce most like Mandarin stuff. So if you're if you're a native Chinese speaker, then my bad, guys. Um, Second of all, regarding the, the entire section about China in general, like, I do a lot of reading about, like, global politics and stuff, and to be honest, like, listening over that section, I'm kind of annoyed with myself for quite how broad brush the explanation of the structural woes of the Chinese state is. So please consider that entire kind of section of, the, of, of that particular discussion to be, like, it's not meant to be, like, 100% accurate. And really, the structural crisis that's inherent in the in the current state apparatus in the U.S. and China, they they're not they're not like clones of each other at all. They're like both they're both very very different imperial powers. It's just that they do have some generalized similarities in that they have like an unusually reactionary and kind of like unthinkingly conservative leadership by even by the standards of those countries combined with long-term structural economic problems coming home to roost in the case of like aging populations and problems with like finance and credit and that kind of thing and generalized issues surrounding the sustainability of industrialization 
Um, so that that's kind of what the 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 general take was meant to express, uh, as far as regards like tying together economic and socio political malaises and the, the kind of like the creeping growth of this like semi liberal semi fascist oligarchy in the U.S. and this kind of like post Marxist Leninist red brown autocracy in 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 the People's Republic of China, which is nevertheless still quite closely integrated to like finance capital and so on. So yeah, take take the original explanation in that section that's just gone past with a bit of a pinch of salt. It was all kind of a bit off the cuff. Um, and yeah, I was, guess me and E will see you in the next episode. Bye bye. Thank you.